today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. But what Paul was saying is, if there's any other gospel outside of the truth of the sacrifice of Christ, the Son of God, on a cross for your sins, that by believing in Him, you shall have eternal life. Paul says, if anyone tells you otherwise, even an angel who purports to be an angel and comes to you and says, well, there's a different gospel, Paul says, let him be eternally condemned. So we need to understand angels, because some erroneous things have come out of a misunderstanding of what angels and who angels are. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Both the Muslim and Mormon church were founded on claimed meetings with angels. Pastor Gary teaches us today that in the Bible, Paul made it clear that if anyone tries to change the gospel, including angels, they are to be eternally condemned. This teaches us that the Bible is the only and final word of God. Until Christ returns, we are to hold the Holy Bible in highest esteem without adding to it or altering it. Know that the Bible is the word of God. It and it alone is the only book which you will truly need in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 91, part one of today's message titled, Angels on Assignment. Let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Psalms, chapter 91. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles to Psalm 91, we'll take a look at this chapter together today. We have Bibles for you if you need one. We have ushers coming up and down the aisles with Bibles in hand. They'll be happy to hand you a Bible if you need one. It's page 445 in those church Bibles that are being handed out. Page 445. Just turn, if you would, to Psalm 91. Uh, I'm going to read all of it. It's only 16 verses, but before I do, just uh, let me, if you would, uh, give you a little bit of background on Psalm 91, which is nothing. We, we don't know any background on Psalm 91. If you'll notice, there is no subtitle to Psalm 91. There's not a byline. Uh, there's not a context. There's not an author's name. There's nothing as a subtitle to Psalm 91. It is anonymous. We don't know to whom it belongs. We don't know the context or the background of this psalm. It is what is often called an orphan psalm, not having any background to it. And by the way, 50 out of the 150 psalms fall into this category. No byline, no background. So fully one-third of the book of Psalms is anonymous. And yet we don't really need more than what we have. The chapter will speak for itself. God inspired it, and God chose to include it in the Jewish songbook. So that's what we have before us, Psalm 91. Let me read it, and then I'll pray, and we'll dig out this chapter together today. It tells us this, verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your, your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent." For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves you, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. G. Campbell Morgan, a Bible scholar and a pastor in London during the late 19th century and early 20th century, G. Campbell Morgan said of this chapter, Psalm 91, that it is, quote, one of the greatest possessions of the saints. One of his contemporaries, who lived just slightly earlier than G. Campbell Morgan, another Bible scholar and British pastor by the name of Charles Spurgeon, said about this chapter, quote, In the whole collection, in the whole collection of Psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. So I thought it was fitting for us on this Mother's Day to look at a cheering psalm that has encouragement here and is uplifting Compared to Psalm 90, which I decided to skip, which is about death. Uh, Psalm 90 verse 9 actually says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> yes, I decided, well, we'll skip, we'll skip that one. We'll just go right on to Psalm 91. You're welcome. Um, one of the reasons why Psalm 91 is such a cherished psalm is because, for you note-takers, it is about God's protection, comfort, and care. It's about God's protection, comfort, and care. And the psalmist even draws upon a comparison in verse 4 about God being like a mama bird who loves to protect her young under her wings... And so look at verse 4 where he writes, the psalmist says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. So just kind of picture God like a mama bird just kind of protecting her young and shielding her young under her wings. That's how much God wants to protect you and hold you close to himself. At our house, every spring we put out some hanging baskets along our front porch and over the past few years, as soon as we hang these hanging baskets, birds, in particular purple finch, will come and they put a nest and they have 
you know, they lay eggs and then they have young in, in these hanging baskets. And the first few years, I thought it was cute. I thought, Isn't this nice? You know, I'd check on them and, you know, look at them and watch them how they'd hatch. And then I realized, you know, I can't water this, this hanging basket anymore because I don't want to drown these little, these little creatures. And so then the hanging baskets die. And then, you know, there's bird poo all over your porch, too, because they're, they're doing what birds do. So this year, I decided no more birds laying, laying eggs. And so I'm hanging out the baskets, and the purple finch are in our trees just waiting. They're, I mean, seriously, the day I hung them up, they started flocking into these hanging baskets. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm kind of tired of this. They just pollute the porch. That's all they're doing. So I decided, I decided to prevent them from coming into the hanging baskets. So I went inside. I thought it was creative, but some of you are going you're gonna to be haters towards me. But I decided I'm going to get toothpicks, and I'm going to put them all inside. Isn't that terrible? It's just like, I'm got, you know, don't call PETA on me, all right? But I decided I'm just going to put toothpicks, then they won't want to land in them. And, and do you know those birds, they could care less about the toothpicks. They just come in, they uprooted them, and they started making their nests. And I was so frustrated, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to give up. So I took a picture. So here's, here's like on the inside of one of our hanging baskets now. So these the five eggs were laid, and they just hatched. Let me zoom in for you on, on this guy. Look at this guy right here. Look at this guy just looking right up at me. He's posing for the picture. So this is now inside her hanging basket. And, and that mama bird, she's so protective of these creatures. They're tiny, but I just want you to know they were delicious. I'm telling you what, they were delicious. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't eat them. Maybe if they were glazed and filled with jelly, I would. But I... I but no, seriously, no, I wouldn't either. So now, you know, there they are, and, and they're going to grow up and pollute the porch and fly away. And every year this happens. So I kind of understand, you know, this picture here. I'm sure many of you do as well. In fact, Jesus even used this kind of allegory, this idea of, like, God and, and that maternal instinct of a bird. Jesus even used the same thing to describe himself. In Matthew chapter 23, I'll just read it to you, it's verse 37. This is when Jesus was lamenting over Jerusalem because his own people did not accept him as Messiah. And so Jesus said this, Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus even describes here, this picture of like a, a mother hen just kind of gathering her little chicks under her wings and you're protecting her little brood and just making sure that they're taken care of and, and loved and nurtured. It's a very endearing picture that, that the Bible draws on in comparison to the nurturing nature of our father. Now, I, I get it that the Bible presents God as masculine. I get that. I mean, he's God the father. But there is this maternal nurturing aspect to the character of God, too. Where do you think that moms get that? They get it from God. That is God-given. And I just, I want you to understand in, in the picture of how God presents in some passages, like what I've just read here, like, like a mother hen just loving and protecting her little chicks. You moms need to understand, don't ever undervalue. Your maternal, caring nature in loving and encouraging and protecting your children. Because when you do that, you're actually representing Christ to them. 
in that loving, nurturing way. You are representing the the nurturing nature of your Father in heaven. And so here's this picture of how much God wants to protect us in this chapter. And again, this whole chapter really is about protection and comfort and, and care. But in the middle of this chapter, God actually says that as part of our protection, he dispatches angels on our behalf. Did you see that with me when we read through the chapter earlier? Look again at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11. For he, that is God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Angels. God dispatches angels on our behalf. Now, angels have always fascinated us throughout time. Uh, Angels are somewhat mystical, but they are not mythical. The topic of angels or some reference to angels appears more than 300 times in the Bible. They are sometimes messengers. They are sometimes warriors. They represent sometimes those who worship God and unfortunately sometimes those who have rebelled against God. Sometimes they have appeared to people in splendor, and sometimes angels appear to people looking just like another ordinary person. And so, who are they? And what do they do? And could one be sitting right next to you today? Look at them. You're like, nah, nah, I know, I know, I know this person. I, they're no angel. Maybe a fallen angel, but they're no, 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 that's not true. No, but listen, we will answer these questions today because I just wanted, again, it's Mother's Day, no, no topic of death, Psalm 90. I want to look at Psalm 91. This is about God's protection, care, and comfort, and specifically, how is it that God protects us? What is it about angels that we need to understand? So I've entitled today's teaching, Angels on Assignment. Angels on Assignment. Now, according to a recent poll by the Associated Press, 94% of church-going people believe in the existence of angels. 94% church-going people. I don't know who the other 6% are, but wake up. <laughs> What's even more interesting, according to the same survey, those who identify as non-churchgoers, non-Christians, even among non-churchgoing, non-Christian people, almost 8 in 10, 77%, believe in the existence of angels. And consider how many ways the fascination of angels has permeated our culture. Angels are everywhere. They're in our cakes. (laughs) Angel food cake, you'll get it, you'll get it. They're in our aquariums. Angel fish. All right? Some of you back in the 70s, you did a little angel dust. You know what I'm saying, do you? You know who you are. Or maybe you don't actually anymore. You don't know... Have you done a little too much angel dust? You don't know who you are. Our kids, maybe you did angel, you know, snow angels in the snow when you were growing up. We have baseball teams, you know, the L.A. Angels. We even have a city, the city of angels, Los Angeles. We have angels in movies. Do you remember angels in the outfield? Angels in the infield. Angels in the end zone. We even have songs. All right, this is before my time, but 1955, Earth Angel. 
earth angel. Remember that song? Will you be mine? Where's the camera? My darling dear. I love you all the time. I'm just a fool. A fool in love with you. Yeah, anyway. All right. So, you know, I think, I think one day we're just going to cut a record of all the times I've sung to you. And we're going to... But anyhow, notice, if you will, this whole fascination with angels. So, the way that they are portrayed in art. For example, we have guys drawn like this. You know, flowing, long hair, six-pack abs, and a sword. All right? So that's how some artists have rendered the idea of what angels look like. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum, and then you also see them portrayed like these effeminate, golden-haired, you know, fairy godmother type. And then, of course, you also have the little naked babies with wings. I'm not sure, but I think you start out like the little naked, chubby baby, and you grow up to be the guy with the six-pack abs. I'm not really sure, but, you know, our idea and our concept of angels... Uh, is vast, and unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there about angels. So much so that Mormonism and Islam are founded on erroneous understandings of angels. For example, when it comes to Mormonism, in 1823, when Joseph Smith was 17 years of age, he said that an angel appeared to him. An angel by the name of Moroni. And, by the way, not mentioned in the Bible at all. And that Moroni appeared to him and told him that the ancient Hebrews actually occupied America at one time. And that they actually recorded on golden tablets sacred texts in ancient Egyptian language. And that they were hidden in the hills of New York. And so based on this vision or this appearance of of an angel, so says Joseph Smith, four years later, he says that he finds golden tablets in the hills of Palmyra, New York. No one has ever seen the golden tablets outside of Joseph Smith, ever. Okay? But this is what he says. And out of that, he says then that that he got a special stone called a seer stone that had magical powers and that helped him as he put it over the Egyptian language, helped him to translate it into English. So says Joseph Smith. And out of that came the Book of Mormon. And it was all inspired because he says he had an encounter with this angel named Moroni. Spelled, by the way, moron with an I. Should be a clue. (laughs) Islam. Very similar. Muhammad, when he was 40 years of age, it's roughly 610 AD, is spending time in a cave in Hira, which is Saudi Arabia. He was able to spend time in a cave contemplating life because he had married a woman 15 years his senior, so he was kind of a kept man living in a cave. And he's contemplating life when he says, or so it was said to him, that the angel Gabriel appeared to him. The Quran has one author. It is Muhammad. One. But Muhammad was illiterate. He could not read or write. So, says Muhammad, he received a vision. And he then dictated the vision to scribes who wrote it in perfect Arabic, the Quran. But at first, Muhammad said that the visions he received were hallucinations. That's the first thing he said. 
Then he said that the, that the visions he received were actually the inspiration of jinn. Jinn is just an Arabic word meaning demons. Other people said to him, no, no. It was not jinn and it was not hallucinations. It was the angel Gabriel who appeared to you. So share with us the visions. And out of that came the Quran. Now, the angel Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible, but why is it that I say that Mormonism and Islam is founded on the erroneous view of angels? Because Paul makes it clear in the Bible, in Galatians 1 verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's strong language. But what Paul was saying is, if there's any other gospel outside of the truth of the sacrifice of Christ, the Son of God, on a cross for your sins, that by believing in him you shall have eternal life. Paul says, if anyone tells you otherwise, even an angel who purports to be an angel and comes to you and says, well, there's a different gospel. Paul says, let him be eternally condemned. So we need to understand angels. Because some erroneous things have come out of a misunderstanding of what angels and who angels are. So I'm going to take you through just a brief description of them and then just some mentions, some duties of the angels, and we'll come back here to this whole idea of how they protect us. But for those of you who take notes, as far as the description of angels goes, the word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. And the Bible says in Hebrews 1.14 that angels are ministering spirits. They are spirits. Now, that is important because it needs to be distinguished from human beings. You see, angels are not glorified human beings. The Bible says in Matthew twenty-two thirty that they neither marry nor reproduce like humans. By the way, we don't start out as angels and then come to earth and are born. And when we die, we don't go to heaven and become an angel. All right, I know it's a wonderful life kind of portrays that. When do you get your wings? It's a wonderful life is kind of a wonderful myth, but it's not... It's not in the Bible. You don't become an angel when you die. Human beings are distinct from angelic beings. And they are immortal, but they are not eternal since they were created by God. In other words, eternal in the sense of having no beginning and no ending. Angels have a beginning. They were created by God. Psalm 148 verses 2 and 5 says this. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. Now when were angels created? Well we don't know exactly when but we know that it was before the universe was created. Because God created angels before he created the heavens and the earth. Because they were present with singing and rejoicing when he spoke the world into existence. Job 38 tells us this. This is when God was having conversation with Job and he was rebuking Job for Job's ignorance. And God said to him in that passage, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. So God tells us that angels were present, even before the universe, because they were there giving praise and worship to God for His creation. We 
We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 